We are in Exodus chapter 20 today. So we're doing a series in Exodus, and we're walking through the book, and uh, I, th- I don't know how many weeks we're in now, but we are in Exodus 20 today. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd like to get that Bible and open it at Exodus 20. So last week, we kind of set up the scene for today, and if I can just recap very quickly what happens there, and then I'm going to get into the detail on this. So last week, Jazz spoke about Exodus 19, and this, this kind of moment, and it reminds me a little bit of like one of those sort of big CGI moments in a film like Lord of the Rings. I don't know if you've seen the trailer for the new one, which looks quite exciting. Um, brings out the inner geek in me. And, and there's this kind of this moment in Exodus 19, and God descends on Mount Sinai, and it's covered in smoke and clouds and thunder and lightning. And in this moment, there's a trumpet sound, and God is preparing the people, and he wants to speak to the people. And he's going to speak to the people um, some very, very key words that most of us would know, and they're the Ten Commandments. And so he's getting, he gets the people ready, they gather together, they consecrate themselves, there's this moment, this really big moment, and then God speaks. And that's where we get to at the start of our chapter, in chapter 20. Now... Looking at this uh, just for, for a second and just thinking about it for a moment, what happens is that God comes and makes a covenant with the people. He comes and makes a covenant with them. So a covenant is like an agreement. It's, it's a series of agreements that take place, and it's often sealed in some way. God has done this before. We, we've seen him do this in the Bible before this point. He's done it with Abraham. You remember with the, the story of Abraham, God makes a covenant with Abraham. He says that he's going to bless him. Uh, he's going to be his God. That's the main thing. And he's going to bless Abraham. And his descendants will fill the earth like the sand on the seashore or the stars in the sky. And as a sign of that covenant, Abraham is to circumcise himself. There's a a covenant that is made. God has made a promise with the individuals before. In fact, actually, he's done it even in Exodus. He did it with Moses at the burning bush in chapter 4. He promises to be Moses' God. He's going to go with him to Egypt to go and uh, speak to Pharaoh. He promises these things. But here we see a covenant being made, not just with a person, but with a people group. God is coming to make a covenant with them. In many ways, God... This is almost a little bit like a wedding ceremony, and God is about to be married to the people of Israel. So we are going to read these words together, uh, starting at verse 1, and it says this. Somebody's phone's ringing. I don't know whether it's on the stage somewhere. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down and worship them, or serve them, for I am the Lord your God, and I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commands. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will hold him guiltless, well, sorry, will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." Honour your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbour. 
You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male servant, his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, and the people were afraid and they trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Don't fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you will not sin. So here we are, this moment. God brings these commandments. God says these commandments out. And um, and we look at it and you go, okay, so this is almost, as I said, it's a little bit like a marriage ceremony that's taking place. God is going to become, you'll notice the phrase is repeated time and time again in this, God is going to be their God. He's going to become their God, the Lord your God. All of a sudden, Yahweh is their God. Now, um, in the text there, the word Lord is often capitalised. That's because uh, in the original Hebrew, it would have had the four letters YHWH, which is the tetragrammaton, which is Yahweh, which is what we say. But because of the third commandment, because of the idea that we need to revere God's name, what you'll see is it's transliterated into the word Lord, and it's caps, so you know. See, God, Yahweh, is going to become their God. They're going to be his people. This is a ceremony taking place here. This is a covenant. And, and you look at it and you think, well, actually, what God asks of the people doesn't seem that bad. Seems pretty good. Seems very common sense stuff, doesn't it? And I think the three things fall, the, the, the Ten Commandments fall into three areas. They're about how we treat the world around us. They're about how we treat God, how we treat ourselves, and how we treat others. And the first three are all related to how we treat, we're to treat God. We're to, I'm going to forget some of these in a minute. Um, I tried to remember all of these off the top of my head, and I kept forgetting, do not murder. So I don't know what that says about me. Um, but anyway, right. So the first three are all about how we treat God. We're to um, worship God and God alone. We're to worship him and him alone. We're to not make any idols. And now an idol isn't just something made of metal or stone. An idol can be anything in your life that you worship other than God. Could be a relationship, could be a career, could be a car, could be anything. You can make idols out of all sorts of things. And at the root of all sin is idolatry. You're not to make idols. Thirdly, we're to not misuse God's name. We're not to misuse God's name. They all relate to God, how we're to treat God. We're to honour him, we're to respect him. Then we get number four. And number four is how we're to treat ourselves. Just as God doesn't have to work needlessly and all the time, he says to us, look, we need to rest. We need to treat ourselves well. Are you taking a day off? That's a good question for you. It's important that you take time out to rest and to recuperate. How you treat yourself. And then five to ten, how do you treat other people? So we need to honour family. We honour our mothers and fathers. We need to make sure that we don't murder, we don't steal, we don't lie, or we don't covet what belongs to other people. Coveting is just, I want what they've got attitude. These things, they all sound quite reasonable, don't they? Yeah? They don't seem, these things also don't sound that hard not to do. It's like, oh, I'm really struggling not to murder somebody at the moment. And they don't sound that difficult in many ways. Yet when Moses comes down off the mountain, and we'll hear this in a couple of weeks' time, and it's already been mentioned, what does he find the Israelites doing? They're making a calf, a golden calf, to worship. And they're saying, here's the God that brought us out of Egypt. All of a sudden, like, like I mean, it's not been very long, and they're already breaking the commandments. And, you know, and it's not, it doesn't get any better anywhere else in the Old Testament. So, um, for example, David, who's like this kind of archetypal best king that you can possibly find outside of Jesus, 
It's the way it kind of gets, gets kind of sort of spoken about in, in the Bible. David commits adultery, lies about it, tries to cover it up by killing the, 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 the woman's husband. That's what he does. I mean, it's like, it's bananas when you think about it. So all of the time, the Israelites can't seem to keep these commandments. They can't do it. It's almost impossible for them to do. They struggle and they struggle and they struggle. Now, taking our analogy of the marriage relationship thing, actually God says in Isaiah 54 that he is going to be like a husband to Israel. But what we read, if you read Jeremiah and Ezekiel, is that God continues, continues to remain like a, a faithful husband to a wife who is unfaithful. She wants to go off, she being Israel, she wants to go off and just find any other man to be with. She wants to go off and have relationships wherever she can find them. This is the kind of image that we find in the Old Testament. And yet God is this faithful, loving husband who continually is spurned and rejected by his wife Israel. Over and over and over again. But yet God remains faithful. And this is the picture we find. God says, look, live this way. The Israelites say, we don't want your ways, we want our ways. Now you might be sitting there and going, okay, well what's the point in the commandments then? What is the point in them? Or you might be sitting there as a Christian and go, but I know that these commandments and this covenant doesn't relate to me anymore. This covenant doesn't relate to me, and I would agree with you on that. This covenant doesn't relate to us if we're in Christ. You see, what we were powerless to do, what the Israelites were powerless to do, Jesus has done. He has walked and lived these commandments out. He's lived them out, not externally, but also internally. He's walked through them. He's lived them out so that he could offer himself as a perfect substitute for you and I. So that we can have relationship with God, not based on commandments, but based on love and relationship. If anyone is in Christ, he comes to Jesus. You come to Jesus, you are a new creation. God makes you new. You become different. Something's changed about you. So we live under this new covenant. And you might say, okay, what is the point then in the Ten Commandments? But then if you read the Gospels, Jesus talks about them all the time. Doesn't he? Read Matthew, read the Sermon on the Mount. You can find it in Matthew 5 to 7 or in Luke. Um, You read the Sermon on the Mount. It's based on the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, the whole thing. And Jesus doesn't seem to make it easier. He doesn't go, okay, yeah, it was actually quite difficult. Let's make it easier. He makes it even harder for people doesn't make it easier he makes it more difficult let me just read a story to you actually so mark chapter 10 there's a little story that just illustrates this point mark chapter 10 verse 17 as he was setting out on his journey a man ran up knelt before him and asked him good teacher what must i do to inherit eternal life and jesus said to him why do you call me good no one is good except god alone i mean he's having a bit of fun there because he knows he's god yeah why do you call me good no one's good except god alone You know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness. Do not defraud, honour your father and mother. Jesus would have known this man would know all of those. He lists them. He knows the man would know them all, but but he does miss out a few, and I'll show you why in a second. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Isn't that the best phrase ever? Jesus looks at this man. This man This man is falling apart, really. We'll talk about that as well. Jesus looks on him and he loves him. You know, Jesus looks on you and it doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus looks on you and he loves you. So instead about him being a perfect substitute for us, he looks on us. It doesn't matter the state of our lives. Jesus looks on us and he loves us. And Jesus said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. 
Disheartened by the saying, saying he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. So in this story, Jesus makes the commandments even harder. How does he do that? Well, you see, this man thinks that he's fulfilled all of the commandments externally. He thinks he's done them all. He thinks he's, he's given his life over to externally producing a performance that looks like it's fulfilling the commandments. But yet, he has made an idol out of money. He worships the wealth that he's got, and he can't give it away because he's worshipping it. He's broken the second commandment. Jesus is saying to him, look, unless you actually give this over, you're not going to be able to do what you need to do. You have, there has to be something to change in you. You're going to have to change in order to be able to fulfill it. You see, the commandments are not just about external actions. They're about the desires of our hearts and our dreams of lawlessness as well. It relates to all of our lives. It's not just a little bit of us. Everything, everything we do, everything we think, everything we feel, should be viewed through the lens of these things. Now you might say, well, then it's impossible. It's impossible. Something needs to fundamentally shift if, if this is ever going to relate to me in any sort of way. I need a renovation, you might say. You might need, and, I, and I believe that actually God would say that actually in order for us to be able to understand the commandments in the way that they are actually intended is for us to have a renovation of our hearts. We need a renovation of our hearts in order to be able to understand this. A couple of weeks ago, Claire had a prophetic word and I felt it fitted with what I wanted to say on this this morning. Um, at the moment, we're having a renovation at home. We're very fortunate. We've been able to get a new, we're having a new kitchen. Um, Dave uh, and John, John, Dave's son, he's a very good builder, by the way. If you ever need any work doing, speak to them about it. But they are doing our, our, our house at the moment. And uh, you like that little plug there? That was good, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> don't come for free. Um, they're doing our work at the moment. And so from the outside of our house, it all looks great. We've been able to get new windows because our ones were rotten. We've been able to get new windows. Our house looks brilliant from the outside, but internally, you should see our house. It is literally awful. It is just, there's dust everywhere. So you clean, you hoover, you sit down, and then you get up and you've got a ring where you sat down. It, doesn't, it just isn't clear. It's like, ah! It's like everywhere, and the kids are like traping it through the house. It doesn't matter how many tell you, tell, times you tell them to take their shoes off and put them on. It's just everywhere. You can't get rid of it. Claire had this prophetic picture a couple of weeks ago because she's really not enjoying it at the moment. She enjoys being outside rather than inside at the moment. She can't wait to leave. Um, not spending any time at home at the moment, are you? No, yeah. Um, it's fine, leave it to me, I'll clear up. Um, so, yeah, anyway, so she said that she feels that there are people in the church who are living lives a little bit like us, and it's just like the rich young ruler. Everything externally looks pretty good. I'm fulfilling these things externally. I'm doing these things externally. But internally, you are a broken down mess. Everything inside is broken. And you're not willing to let people know what is really going on in your life. But actually, you also need to do something else. You need to let Jesus in. You need to let Jesus in because Jesus needs to come and do something in your life. He needs to perform heart surgery. He needs to come and renovate your heart. There's a verse in um, uh, Revelation uh, verse chapter 3. And it says this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. See, Jesus stands at our, the, heart, the doorway of our hearts and he knocks and he's asking you to open it to him and allow him into the house so that he might come and do a work in your life. That what happens when we come to Jesus, when we meet Jesus for the first time, 
what happens is, is that we allow him into the hearts of our lives. John 14 says, Jesus says, if you love me and obey my commands, I will come and make my home in you. If you choose to follow Jesus, he will come and make his home in you. And what he does then is he starts to transform your inner life by the power of the Spirit. And he starts to work in your heart. And what happens is, is that as he does that, he starts to write his law on your heart. Hebrews 10, which quotes Jeremiah, says that when the Spirit comes, when Jesus has come and done the work that he does, and the Spirit comes, what will happen is, is that God will write his law on the hearts of his people. And what happens is when we come to Jesus, when we hand our whole life over to Jesus and stop thinking about religion being external acts and start thinking about it being allowing Jesus room in our lives to do the work that he does, what happens when we do that is that he writes the law on our hearts. So it ceases to be a series of, um, of, of just prescribed actions that we need to follow and instead it becomes the desires of our hearts to follow God's ways and please him. Jesus places uh, his spirit in us and he starts to renovate our lives so that we can follow after him. You need to be born again in order for that to happen. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What happens is when God comes into your life, when God comes into your heart by his presence and renovates your heart, he makes all things new. It's not even like the old house was there anymore. It's a brand new house in its place. We need to allow Jesus into our lives in order to be able to do the work that only he can do. Now, as we do that, what happens is this. We start to walk in the Ten Commandments, not as covenant, but in the way that they were written. You see, the law demonstrates what the lawgiver looks like. We, as those in Christ, if you're a Christian, we get to demonstrate something else. You see, the first, the first covenant, the covenant that was made with the people uh, back at Sinai, made the people God's people. But the covenant that you and I have walked into with Jesus doesn't make us just God's people, it makes us his children. Now, if the law demonstrates what the lawgiver looks like, God's children should demonstrate what their father looks like. And what happens is, is when we allow Jesus and the Spirit into our lives to do the work, the transformative process of renovating our hearts, what happens is, is that the work that takes place in our lives is that we start to imbibe and exhibit the Ten Commandments just through our lifestyle and how we live, and we demonstrate to the world around us what God looks like, what our father looks like. So let me just show you what this looks like then in, in the form of, I've written a table up for you, you can have a little look at this. So in terms of the Ten Commandments, then we start to actually live these things out. So we start to demonstrate that our Father is the only one worth worshipping when we worship him and him alone. We start to demonstrate to the world around us that if we don't make idols, what we're demonstrating is, is that God is the only God who can really love us. Idols will not love you, but God can love you and God does love you. As we walk in, 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 in honouring God's name, it doesn't just extend to not taking his name in vain, not blaspheming. It doesn't end there. Actually, it goes in the opposite direction. We should honour and revere God's name. So in Acts 3, Peter and John, uh, they're walking uh, into the temple and they go past a, a man begging who's also lame and he needs healing. And what do they say to him? They don't have silver or gold, but in the name of Jesus, we say, get up and walk. You see, Jesus' name is only, not only to be revered, but it has authority attached to it, authority that you and I as God's children are, are welcome to take part in. We have an opportunity to use the name of Jesus to take authority over situations. Are you taking a break? You see, as we take breaks as Christians, as we demonstrate that we're not going to give in to our culture's expectations of what it should look like, 
to, to, to live, you have to work all the time. As we take a break, we're demonstrating that we don't need to work all the time. God's never in a rush, so why should I be in a rush? As we honour family, we're demonstrating God's love for family. As we love, as we create, because I'm not going to talk about murder because that's not a problem. We need to do the opposite. We don't murder, we don't take away life, we give life. As we create, not just life, but create in general, we're demonstrating that God is creative and he loves creating and he loves to impart life to others. We should be those who impart life. As we walk in faithfulness, if you're married today, if you walk in faithfulness to your husband and your wife, you're demonstrating the faithfulness of God towards you. We're not called to steal, we're called to be generous. And as we do so, we demonstrate God's generosity. We're not called to lie, we're called to be honest. And as we're honest, because it's a heart desire, we're demonstrating that God is trustworthy. And as we walk in life, and we don't look at other, what other people have got and say, oh, I want that. What we're demonstrating as we, do, as we walk in the opposite way, we're demonstrating that actually I've got all that God's given me is all that he knows that I need. So there's this sort of dependency upon him as our father. But as we do that, we walk into a lifestyle that demonstrates to the world around us what the father looks like. And that's what you and I are called to do. So we're going to close now. I know we've run over this morning. But I want to take a moment because I do believe that this morning there's two groups of people here. Maybe today you know that you've never asked Jesus to follow you. Sorry, to follow him. You've never, you've never asked Jesus to follow him. you never said, Jesus, I want to follow you. You've never said those words. And, and externally, maybe you're like, well, yeah, I'm quite religious. So I, do, I, do, I do the Bible. I, I live it out. I, I, I do the stuff. But it's all external. And internally, you know that there's something that needs to shift in you. I'm going to invite you to follow Jesus for the first time in a minute. Or maybe you want to respond to Claire's prophetic word. Maybe in your life today, there are just you know that everything you're doing at church is effectively a sham, but internally everything's broken. I spoke to somebody recently who stopped coming to church. They've stopped coming. One of the reasons they've stopped coming is they're just questioning their faith. The other thing was they said, when, I, when I'm at church, I don't feel like I can be me and swear. We want to be an authentic people. You need to be able to be who you are when you're here. But also I believe that as you're here, God will change you. We need to be able to be ourselves around one another. We're not putting it on the show. We want Jesus to come and meet with us and change us. Maybe today you feel like you've just been putting on a show. Well, I want to give you a moment just to come back before Jesus again and say, Jesus, I am going to allow you back into my heart this morning that you might take up residence again in my life. So we're going to pray now if that's all right. So if we can all close our eyes. God, we thank you for your law. We thank you that it is perfect. But it demonstrates our imperfection. And Jesus, we know that if we are going to actually follow you and know you, Jesus, we thank you, Lord God, that it's about a relationship, not ritual. And so, Jesus, we just right now, we want to come before you and we want to allow you into our lives again. Lord, we are sorry this morning where we have tried to just live out the Christian life just through external action, but we know that inside we're broken. And so if that's us, if that's you this morning, right now, we just, just pray along with me. Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry where I've lived my life as external action and I've not allowed you into, into my house, into the house of my heart. I've not allowed you to do that work that only you can do. Jesus, I'm sorry. Jesus, would you forgive me? Jesus, would you come and take up residence again right now in my heart by your Holy Spirit's power? Come and transform me. Come and renovate my heart, Jesus, this morning. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, let's just, I'm just going to invite you to pray this prayer along with me now. Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. 
Jesus, I'm sorry for the, the, the things that I've done wrong, the things that these commandments demonstrate in my life, the things that I know I've not been able to achieve. Jesus, I know I never could achieve, I never could achieve them. And Jesus, right now I come to you. Jesus, I'm sorry. Jesus, would you forgive me this morning? And Jesus, I pray right now, I choose to follow you, Jesus. I choose to follow you, Jesus. Jesus, I open up the door of my heart right now to you. Jesus, would you come in right now by your spirit? Would you come and make all things new within me? Jesus, I choose to follow you with my life this morning.